0: Untitled Beatles Podcast. Take it, Tony! Take it, Tony! (laughs) I love it. We have to do wildlife at some point. Welcome to the Untitled Beatles Podcast. Yes! Oh, God. Everyone knows I'm Tony. Uh,
1: By now, they're familiar (laughs) that I'm not Tony. I've had to change my name legally to not Tony, because Tony gets all the fan mail. Everybody just keeps throwing jelly babies at him.
2: Because, uh jelly bean traveling about 50 miles an hour through the earth it hits you in the eye, well, you're finished, you know, you're blind, aren't you? So we've, you know, we've never liked people throwing stuff like that. We don't mind them throwing streamers. But jelly beans are a bit dangerous, you see.
0: <laughs> Jolly babies. Jelly babies. That's TJ. Yeah, I'm TJ. And by the way, not Tony is a palindrome, ain't it? Same backwards as forwards, like a taco cat and all that. Really? Uh- Right, wouldn't it be? N O T Y? U uh, N I T <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Y. <okay. laughs> you know, when that song came out, I totally had a crush on Queen Latifah.
1: I still have a crush on Queen Latifah. I only watch CBS crime dramas.
0: <laughs> I like, my crushes are Queen Latifah and Tom
1: Selleck. <laughs> And what's wrong with that? Silly Love Songs, great song on the original British EP of Magical Mystery Tour. And Tony, ah, let's Let's talk about, let's do it. We're not going to talk about the movie right now because neither of us has the acid on stock, <laughs> but we are going to talk about the uh, soundtrack of Magical Mystery Tour and just in general, what a powerhouse year 1967 was. Um, we'll be Magical Mystery Tour centric, but in context, it's probably the biggest and most important year in the history of The Lovable Lovin' Spoonful.
2: What a day for a daydream.
0: Well, 67, huge year for the Beatles, yeah. And this is, of course, the follow-up to Sgt. Pepper, and a lot of people regard this record, I'll call it that, because it was an LP in the U.S. and a double EP in the U.K., and we'll get to all that, but a lot of people regarded this as a disappointment, you know, after Sgt. Pepper.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people were wrong. I think this is... uh, (laughs) Me too. I believe Sgt. Pepper is a better album. I think Magical Mystery Tour has better songs. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's where I'm at. Interesting. With the exception of A Day in the Life on Sgt. Pepper, the highs on Magical Mystery Tour are more frequent and more powerful than what's on Pepper.
0: That is a hot take. That is a hot take. We'll have to get... We'll have to... Maybe we can do that as we go through track by track. We can compare these to Sergeant Pepper songs or whatever. Yeah. and that one might be hard for me, but I know what you mean, like as a whole, I was really excited. This might have been actually one of the first, if not the first Beatles album I would have bought because honestly, uh, my mom had Sergeant Pepper on cassette When I got into the Beatles, my mom had Sergeant Pepper on Cassette. Rubber Soul on cassette and um, Rubber my,
1: Soul. <laughs> Rubber Soul. Hey.
0: <laughs> and then my dad had Meet the Beatles and we had the red album. So that was what I was playing with. So I'd already heard Sgt. Pepper and I wanted to hear Strawberry Fields Forever so bad. So I was like, what album is that on? And yeah, I think I got it on cassette first with the capital with the light blue spine and all that. And uh, you know, it didn't come with the booklet. It didn't it hardly came with the the album art, yeah. the cassette was just, you know, them in the costume with the Beatles in the back and the Magical Mystery Tour, that groovy font in the front. And
1: pretty seriously cropped, right? Wasn't there like a sea yeah. of blue capital with that said the Beatles and Magical Mystery Tour in large white letters, and then at the very yes. bottom was the cropped photo? So you barely got it.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it was the cassette buying experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it was released November twenty seventh, nineteen sixty seven, in the U.S. as an eleven song LP, and then later December eighth in the UK as a double seven inch EP of six songs. And it was a uh, yeah played at forty five RPMs, and it had the small hole, so it wasn't like a jukebox. Story of my single. life essay.
1: <laughs> but so I'm showing it right now. If you can't see, but I have uh, I'm showing you. I have uh, a parlophone. 70s pressing of that EP that I got, I am pretty sure at Beatlefest shortly after they moved to Rosemont in the 80s. Because I remember being downstairs and finding this because I'd had the the album with the yellow cover forever. But then when you stumble on one of these and it's just the EPs, just the blue, there's no yellow, there's no Art Deco song titles. Finding one of these was really exciting.
0: Yeah, and then the booklet is like a seven inch version of the booklet. So it's less giant than the LP version. But yeah, let's talk about the cover art. I quite like it. I think it's really fun. I think some people thought it was like cheesy, and I don't know, man. People are weird. I think it's really fun. They're all dressed up in these kooky outfits on the cover as well. John is the walrus, obviously. Paul is the hippopotamus. George is the rabbit. And then Ringo is the chicken. (laughs) <laughs> Poor Ringo.
1: Of course Ringo's the chicken.
0: <laughs> All right, lads, which one of you is going to be in the chicken outfit? Not me.
1: <laughs> I, I love on Ringo Rama his cover of the chicken dance. <laughs>
0: that disco chicken dance.
1: Disco, Mark Hudson really did a nice job producing Ringo doing <laughs> the chicken dance. About what the beatles did following pepper they released an ep of songs from their movie i don't think the original beatles intent was for much as i love this album was for it to be an album or else no. they would have done it themselves yeah. so for what the ep is i'm pretty sure it was the first double rock ep ever released in the uk i mean it's got the yeah. gatefold and it's got two eps total six songs two songs inside on a one song
0: on side b yeah. And they're in a different order, too. So,
1: so strange, a totally different order. And uh, so the EP was what most people around the world bought. Um, and it wasn't uh, Dave Dexter who came up with the idea to make Magical Mystery Tour an album in the States. It was Alan Livingston, the capital president, who said, EPs don't sell here. Let's take the other singles, throw them on side B, and make a full proper album out of it. So I do love the artwork. I think the point I was making is when the Beatles, this the intended artwork, it plays up on one of the best scenes in, in the film. It also corresponds to a film that makes no sense and is weird and garish as well. So what's the problem with making a weird 1967 pop art crazy cover with all the stars? And then to Capitol's credit the weird Art Deco song titles and the orange and yellow and with light blue hypnotic background. Yeah. Plus on early copies advertising the book. Then Capital got cheap, I think, in 78. And where it it usually says includes 24-page full-color book, Capital just put a big purple bar. Like, (laughs) fuck you. We think cassettes are a good idea with no information. And Capital saved money because... Uh, One of the reasons why, conspiracy alert, Beatles conspiracy alert, several years later, Capitol would release real music, and in their quote-unquote special souvenir booklet was like half of the magical mystery tour booklet that Capitol had deleted from vinyl pressings of this in the late 70s. So by 82, if you wanted the magical mystery tour booklet, you got most of it in the special souvenir real music booklet. So conspiracy theorists think that was connected.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the booklet's groovy. Yeah, when you open up that gatefold sleeve, it gives you the song titles for just the movie part. And also under I Am the Walrus, it says, No, you're not, said little Nicola. Yeah. Which is a reference to Nicola Hale, a five-year-old who appeared in the film.
1: That's right. And also, they were big fans of Ricola, the cough drop made famous (laughs) in Sweden, I think. Sweden?
0: (laughs) Acapulco? I've always been more of a Ludens cough drop guy, if you're into cough drops all you cough all you cough droppers out
1: there for for all you cough droppers out there many may have done this too I used to crush them and smoke them in college we put ludens in a bong ludens in a bong ludens in a bong song you ever you ever smoke ludens with snow
0: you can have
2: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: And then the vinyl says, plus these other selections, the LP does, then it gives you all the songs on side two. Uh, the whole Project Magical Mystery Tour was insane because they basically started on this and recording the songs in the spring after they'd finished Pepper. And yeah. in '67, Tony, they were doing the songs that became Pepper, the songs that became most of the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, and Magical Mystery Tour. All in a span of like six, seven months. It's insane.
0: Yeah, it is insane. What they took off time from touring to do was spent just creating more and more music. You'd see years later, things like, you know, my name, look up the numbers started this year. Right. Yeah. They were kind of stockpiling songs for a while.
1: It's interesting to me that the idea for the film was really hatched a few days after Brian Epstein's death in August because that's kind of the moment when Paul really began to, uh, some would argue it was Sergeant Pepper, but I think Magical Mystery Tour, given the vanity, Magical Mystery Tour was a, an unfortunate prelude to Broad Street in that Paul was like, mm-hmm. we can do this. We don't need a, a writer. We don't need a, you know, a, a director. We, we can do all this.
0: Yeah, we'll do it ourselves. We'll do it ourselves. I'll play every instrument. You know, it's that, it's a kind of a control thing, but I also get it. You know, when you've got a vision and you've been told since age 20 or whatever it's been that what you're doing works and is worldwide huge, you listen.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, in fairness, one of the McCartney stories that I both love and also drives me crazy as a Paul Stories when he talks about the movie, he's always like, Spielberg tells me he loved it in films.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And people like Spielberg, I've read that people like him have sort of said, when I was in film school, we re- that was a film we really took notice of, like an art film, mm-hmm. you know,
0: rather than a proper film. So, yes, as mentioned, the, the follow-up to Sgt. Pepper, some say this is their Satanic Majesty's Request.
1: Yeah, and some say the Stones' <laughs> Satanic Majesty's Request is a highly overrated album, that it's got like three good songs on it.
0: I like that beginning song. That one's good. And Obviously, 2000 Light Years is a good song, yeah. too. And the Bill Wyman song on there is cool, too. I forget its title's escaping me.
1: The other thing about this cover is the big rumor in the '80s was if you turned it upside down, at least in the American album, Beatles spelled out a phone number you would call.
0: Oh yeah, remember that? Right. <laughs> yeah, and it would tell you the time of day. <laughs> <laughs> it's right.
1: It was, it was it was the early sports phone. It's what you call when you when you, you needed a Blackhawk score and you couldn't. There was no internet. <laughs>
0: So we thought we'd actually go through the UK sequencing on this record. Uh, so we'll cover the first six songs as it was on the double EP. And then we'll hit side two of the uh, US LP. It's
1: a good way to combine the two things. And we should mention for those who don't know, at the end of our conversation, I want to give some of the weird variations and the pressings of these, Tony. But I'll say right now, the American version has been the standard worldwide version since the CDs came out in 1987. And in fact, when they reissued the CDs and uh, the vinyl, especially the mono and stereo vinyl in I think 2012 and then 2014 was the mono. No, they might have come out at the same time. I can't remember. But it's the only current-day Beatles vinyl to feature the Capitol Records logo because right. it's the only Capitol thing they took. So for American Beatles fans who grew up with those Rainbow Capitol labels, I, those are before my time, but I had them in my collection, the mono copies and stuff. And then they brought back the Capitol Rainbow in the 80s. So a lot of the... It's fun having a pressing of Abbey Road on the Capitol Rainbow, even though it's it's the reissue. Uh, but I think in, <laughs> if from '83 till '83 till like '86 or '87, it was all the Capitol Rainbow again. But yeah, so this is now the worldwide standard. You, if this EP has been an import or a, you know hard to find for ages, now the standard, the only American Beatles record that's standardized by the Beatles officially. Is magical mystery tour so it's especially cool because of that i think
0: well let's kick it off let's go track by track and uh well it starts with the title track magical mystery tour so this was recorded like four days after the completion of pepper pepper Pepper. (laughs) we're insiders so we can say pepper now
1: salt pepper did the beatles (laughs) push it with magical mystery tour (laughs) i love it i have the walrus (laughs) So your mother should know on the hell.
0: <laughs> You're turning the stars on 45 There was kind of a Latin feel You had going on with that I like that
1: Speaking of which You can boogie like disco Love that disco sound But don't, 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 don't Don't, don't forget No, no, no There's four people listening Who know what that reference is
0: Well this song is based on a lot of those mystery tours that they kind of used to do in the past uh based on what the they're called sherabang trips which is a it's like a large open top vehicle that they used to have up until the 20s like I saw a picture of one it's like 25 people crammed into like five rows of benches on this big old model T looking thing with no roof on it yeah the idea is there's a crate of beer and you you know you don't know where you're going and you sing songs on this bus and you get loaded and I guess eventually you get off the bus. And that was the premise of this whole film.
1: You know, Tony, Bang is also what Eric Clapton and George Harrison did with Patty. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great song. It's a perfect energy opener. This is one to me that feels like Paul beginning to repeat himself a little, because it's this opens the same... Now, it's a movie opener, but it's got the same kind of, here we are presenting to you that Sergeant Pepper has. Yes. It's an announcement song. There's kind of a fanfare. It's a welcome to the show type of song, and... It even kind of struggles. There's a couple tempo shifts that don't feel totally right. Now, there's sound effects and stuff going on underneath. But this song's interesting because it feels like a McCartney. It's so funny because, yes, Magical Mystery Tour is a classic, but it's not on the same plane as the other classic McCartney songs of that era. He did it better with the opening to Pepper.
0: You might say it suffers from sophomore slump slash second time blues. A lot of those things that happen to us in comedy, like you get the huge laugh opening night or whatever. And then second performance, that laugh has been replaced by a slightly gentler laugh. And then by week six, you're like, where did that laugh go? I'm still saying the line. Why is it not getting the laugh it got opening night? It's a strange thing. Anyway, it's kind of like that. You're right. And I think it also shows too. So Paul, I think was really geeked out by the like, let's. Pepper was great. Can't wait. Let's get cracking while the iron's hot or whatever. He wrote the ideas for Magical Mystery Tour the Song on an overnight trip back from the U.S. And he was like, oh, we'll just finish it up in the studio. I'll get the whole rest of the guys to contribute and it'll be, you know, a group piece. And I I think there was less enthusiasm for it. And so Paul ended up writing most of it himself. And I think that's kind of where, you know, Paul kind of starts taking over.
1: Well, it's funny, Tony, because I prefer the film version and I don't think this has ever been released.
0: No, it hasn't.
1: Which has, I mean, obviously it's released on the film, but in terms of on like an official Beatles download or physical product, it has a different intro spoken that I think is John.
0: Yeah, it's John.
1: Yeah, it's John doing the kind of carnival barker voice, whereas on every recording it's Paul and the middle section Where there's really not much going on Just vacillating between a major and minor key With the horns It's got a The movie's got that great John Lennon narration
2: When a man buys a ticket For a magical mystery tour He knows what to expect We guarantee him the trip of a lifetime And that's just what he gets The incredible
0: magical mystery
2: tour (laughs)
0: That's the
1: one I always want to hear in my head. Is the one they actually use in the film? Yeah, I feel like Ringo's drums are louder in the film version. It's an overall more. So I have it. It's on one of the ultra rare tracks bootlegs from the eighties, and that's. I've been putting that one on mixes for a long time as openers because it's got more sound effects. It just feels Paul meant for this to be kind of a, a campy show tune rock opener, and the movie version better delivers on it than the officially released one. I think.
0: Yeah, it's cool. It's definitely cool. Yeah, it's two guitars, piano, drums, sound effects, percussion from Neil Aspinall and Mal Evans. There's four trumpets on it. And uh, not four
1: trumpets. There are not four Trump voters on this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is before all that. Right, Turns out.
1: (laughs) And this is back when Trump was was just a draft dodger. I mean, this is just that's So we didn't even know who he was then. And just struggling to inherit a million dollars from his father, you know, hard worker.
0: Yeah, he was just a privileged douchebag. It was yeah. before he became like a criminal. And so then on the EP, we get a different track as number two, Your Mother Should Know, which actually works, you know, Fool on the Hill works, but this one works too.
1: Yeah, you're so right. They both work in such a different way. I think it's always hard to not hear Fool on the Hill coming out of this because it's such a logical progression. And what's interesting is a lot of the Beatles albums are staggered. So you don't know, especially mid Beatles on. Not all the time you'd get like two Johns or two Pauls. It'd be here's a Paul song, here's a John song, maybe a George song opening revolver. It's weird, both EP and album are back to back Paul numbers.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah, the EP really only has one John song on on the whole thing.
1: One and one and one fourth.
0: One and one fourth. You're right. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> one and a quarter.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Well, this is one of the songs uh, not recorded at Abbey Road, or I should say the finished version started at, is it Chappelle Recording Studios? Let's call it Chappelle in honor of Dave. That's right. Um, but Abbey Road was booked up. They did try another version of it, which you can hear on Anthology 2 at Abbey Road, the one that is, to me, more dirge-like and has like the drum roll thing happening. Yeah,
1: almost like Ringo doing military stuff. Yeah, yeah I'm not uh, yeah. into it. <laughs> no, I've never liked that one.
2: So she was born Should know Your should know
0: I've always liked this song yeah even though it's kind of like I don't know I've always been kind of embarrassed to like it because it is so kind of like I don't know oh this is a song that this is one of his granny songs as John would call it but I've always liked it I mean it's very much like when I was a kid growing up I liked I liked the song say 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 Paul. And I liked the song Pressure by Billy Joel. And I was, like, ridiculed by my friends in Catholic school <laughs> for liking that song. They, they said I was a uh, homosexual. Well, like good Catholic kids do. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's so funny. I love Pressure. Pressure also hit of 82, by the way, from Billy Joel's Nylon Curtain album. And uh, <laughs> I, b- that's where I learned that Channel 13 was the New York PBS affiliate. When Billy sings, all your life is Channel 13, Sesame Street, what does it mean? which is a line I don't understand but that's like oh yeah channel 13 because in Chicago we didn't have a channel 13 we had 11 baby No static Yeah channel 13 was just static <laughs> Yeah <laughs> uh, so that's when I learned that there's other different TVs like a channel 5 in Chicago is channel 4 in New York and LA so right, that right, song right. pressure taught me about O&Os and affiliates This song this is another case of Paul replicating himself he had just done uh, When I'm 64 on Pepper. I actually prefer this song. to I, I shouldn't say I prefer it because I love. I actually love both the songs, too. I will say this song serves a couple of amazing purposes. Paul wrote it to be a production number to end the movie.
0: Yeah, Busby Berkeley, he called it. A
1: Busby Berkeley number, right. Uh, and as much as John would talk about granny songs, who's got the biggest shit-eating grin in the film? It's John doing this production number descending down the stairs. John's hamming it up up. So so much yeah. like John didn't like Paul's syrupy stuff, he also supervised the George Martin orchestration for good night. So some of the myth of John Lennon not loving the music hall stuff, John grew up with it just like Paul did. Paul just embraced it more openly and frequently. But uh, yeah, I think I, I love this song. I will also say that on the album coming after Blue Jay Way, it almost makes more Beatles sense to me as a palate cleanser. It's a very pepper moment coming out of Blue Jay Way and then coming into Your Mother Should Know.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. And I will say that I definitely prefer this to when I'm 64. There's something about this, the musicality itself, the chord progressions, which I I really like. And I remember when I was teaching myself piano around 25 or so, This is one of the songs I gravitated towards, and I really like that instrumental breakdown where Paul's on piano and John's on organ, and I just love the way those two melodies interplay with each other. It's one of my favorite moments on this record. I should also say that this was another, yet another song inspired by Paul's Auntie Jen.
2: Auntie Jen
0: Jen and Uncle Harry were visiting and staying with him while he uh, was composing this song. And I think, you know, because she also liked, I've just seen a face and she's mentioned in... uh, In uh, Let Him In. Let Him In. Thank you. I'll say one more thing. Please. On the mono version, you hear there's a lot of phasing effect on Ringo's drums, right? Yes.
1: Yes.
2: She was born a long, long time ago.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot. and I think that's maybe the quality I like is that this is like a trippier version of when I'm 64. When I'm 64 is straight. I love it too, especially the clarinets, like, don't get me wrong, that instrumental passage with those kind of psychedelic Beatle harmonies in When I'm 64 is really great, but I like the kind of stripper hi-hat flourishes that Ringo throws into this song that give it that kind of more dangerous slash sleazier appeal.
1: And still playing in kind of a Ringo Music Hall style, which is what's so funny that he's able to kind of pull off both of those things. His feel was just, who else plays drums that way? Yeah. Nobody.
0: He'd pull it off later on the White Album with Honey Pie. And, and I also love ba da da vocal bits, which this song has. You don't hear that too much in Beatle music. It was one of the reasons, actually, probably why I got into things like Pavement, their early stuff, where they had a lot of ba da da's in songs like Shoot the Singer or Debris Slide. But I love ba da da's in songs. So on the EP, you flip side one, and on side two is just one song. I am the walrus.
1: Which also follows Your Mother Should Know on the vinyl, only you're not flipping sides for that. On the LP, I should say.
0: Yes, you're right. There's no work involved on the LP.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not for this. After the song there is. Then you got to get up and you put your your low-fat Trader Joe's Cheetos down, which aren't really low-fat, but you convince yourself they are, and they taste like shit. They're like cardboard with orange, not as good as real Cheetos, but you buy them because they're like the fucking healthy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Trader Joe's has the the like yeah. reduced fat or reduced guilt Cheetos.
0: Yeah, that's what it is, reduced guilt. Yeah, exactly. Th-
1: but they're like, what's the point? Yeah. I'd rather live two days less and enjoy my Cheetos.
0: I think there's a Hardy's uh, supersized meal in your horizon, TJ, if you want to just play it real. Dream big, dude. The Big Cheese is Hardy's special new double cheeseburger. It's so special, people are stepping up and saying, A Big Cheese. A Big Cheese. Hardy's new Big Cheese. Smile when you say that.
1: So, okay, I'm the walrus. When I talk about Magical Mystery Tour I'm having a better collection of songs, with the exception of A Day in the Life, Magic Mystery Tour features I Am The Walrus, Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane, and All You Need Is Love as their A songs. And then you get to, like, fool on the hit. So I Am The Walrus is one that, to me, elevates this album. After Day In The Life, there is nothing as good as I Am The Walrus on Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. This is one of the most important, seminal songs it is brilliantly produced. It is brilliantly written. I mean, I prefer, in given the Lennon classics, I think I prefer this to Strawberry Fields. I've always loved the texture of this. The images from the movie, which are so weird, are kind of are burned into my brain. This is one of the top five Beatles songs ever put on record, right?
0: I think this is definitely one of those like Lennon slash George Martin studio accomplishments slash masterpieces. You know, it's a, it's hard to throw that word around.
1: But it's, it's everything. You're right.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. The song itself doesn't do a lot musically, you know, it, it's kind of a very simple song. And I think... It's the the crazy, you know, in his own right to uh, Spaniard in the works kind of John Lennon surrealistic vocals slash lyrics that make this song especially exciting. Plus that the George Martin arrangement on this oh, is thrilling. Just, yeah, it's, it's really wild. And you can tell they're having fun. They're at, like Lennon's at a kind of a creative. I don't know about a creative peak. No, I wouldn't say that. I'm sorry. I won't say that. But, you know, it's 67 is what I'm saying. They've been doing acid, so their minds are a little more playful and childlike and regressive. And that's why we're seeing all these like Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields, all these kind of childhood things. Maybe even that your mother should know to a degree, like, you know, the music he heard when he was a kid, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's in the air. And, yeah, he's got these great lyrics. And then the ending with the the Mike Sams singers. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, they're on the whole thing having fun and... Doing all sorts of different stuff. They were like commercial, you know, squeaky clean kind of singers. Soft pop, yeah, it,
1: like easy listening music stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But they're perfect on this the high pitched ooze throughout the song mm-hmm. and the chanting at the end. It's great. Where it's, it, there's counterpoint, right?
0: Yeah. Ian McDonald described it as the whole ending of the song as an obsessive musical structure built around a perpetually ascending-slash-descending M.C. Escher staircase of all the natural major chords.
1: But he didn't say anything about alien cadences, did he? (laughs) Exotic birds, I didn't hear that.
0: (laughs) No. No, but the song is trippy in that it sounds like it's ascending chromatically and descending at the same time. And that's what he's getting at. Like, where is this song? Plus, of course, the Shakespeare radio stuff that's in there. It's a. Uh, From King Lear. King Lear, yeah. Act four, scene six.
2: <laughs> Service of a villain, as dubious to the vices of thy mistress as badness would desire. What? Is he dead? Sit you down, Father.
1: Rest you. For many people, Tony, of a certain age, King Lear, of course, is Norman Lear, who gave us All the Family, (laughs) Maud, Good Times, The Jeffersons.
0: Mary Hartman.
1: Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman. Was that Norman Lear? Yeah, I guess so. It was. So Norman Lear did Firmwood Tonight as well, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Norman Lear.
2: From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way, Glenn Miller played.
1: Songs that made my head count. This is also a song where we saw John kind of turn on Bob Dylan. And in fact, there's that quote, I think, from the Playboy interview where he said, Dylan can get away with murder Well, I can write crap too. stick a few images together, thread them together and you call it poetry. So this is kind of where John, who was so inspired by Dylan, not just a few years earlier, kind of began to turn on him a bit.
0: It was also in response. There was a. Uh... An old friend he was visiting and told him that they were starting to analyze Beatles music in colleges now. And so he's like, oh, okay, I'll give him something to analyze. And yeah, he's making up words crab a locker, texpert, the whole goo goo ga thing. Uh-huh. According to Eric Burton from The Animals, he is the egg man. Not Eric Burton from The Black <laughs> Pumas.
1: This can be a whole episode regarding John's lyrics and George Martin's uh, production of this, both of which are exquisite and, in my mind, upper echelon Beatles. This was the B-side to Hello Goodbye, and a lot of people probably flipped that 45 over and went, what the fuck is this? And John believed I'm the Walrus should have been the A-side. Paul kind of rightfully went out. Hello Goodbye was one of their biggest singles i love the video for hello goodbye where john's kind of mugging with the acoustic guitar doing some of the elvisy stuff yeah, he as points always into
0: the crowd <laughs> yeah, so to yeah. speak
1: that's <laughs> such, such a funny moment but one of the things i, I will do this very quickly i'm going to get myself a time limit for this because there are so many variations of this song on so many different releases i didn't go through all of them but just as a frame of reference tony the intro for this song the capital stereo LP is a four beat intro the capital stereo the current cd four beat intro the parlophone ep from the 70s the stereo intro is six beats the current mono cd six beats the u.s mono capital 45 four beats the ep from 1992 the stereo version has six beats. The mono EP from 92's got four beats.
0: <laughs> and some of them are the beats from And I Love Her.
1: Right. Then they, <laughs> then they throw in the, and, uh, right, of, of course, the extra ending there. Um, but it's it's such a, for Beatles completists, it's so strange that this song, both in stereo and mono, haphazardly appears on different issues and different releases it's the weirdest thing I, is nobody keeping track of this or control of this. No. <laughs> but is it that or is it a bigger glass onion type of winking at the fan and saying, you know, it's like McCartney releasing the five different versions of the No More Lonely Nights playout version and give in regards to Broad Street. Like you got to get every issue.
0: Yeah. It's weird. It is messy and I think it definitely speaks to this time period where they're they're trying to create music for two films at the, simultaneously, Yellow Submarine and Magical Mystery Tour. And yeah, Brian is kind of checked out. In fact, he's about to officially check out. And uh, yeah, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. I don't think anyone's really keeping track.
1: This song was banned, Tony. This song was banned uh, because of uh, uh, "Everybody's Got One." Everybody's got one. Oompa, oompa, stick it up your jumpa.
0: And then what else? The knickers down line also.
2: you girl, you
0: let your down. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> clutch those pearls, I guess. Thanks, Tipper Gore.
2: <laughs> People can interpret it many ways. Uh, Ms. Gore was looking for sadomasochism and bondage, and she found it.
0: Well, getting back to, like, yeah, all the different, the mess of mixes and all that, yeah, like, the mono mix itself, like, doesn't have certain drum parts in them. Like, that, basically, there's a, that first drum fill, which I think we've mentioned in, earlier podcasts about discovering the Beatles and stuff, but that that drum fill and that easy beat that he was doing, that made me feel like I could play drums. So, and that's, so that's the stereo version, which I heard. And yeah, I wonder, like, it makes me wonder, it's stupid shit like that. Had I only heard the mono version growing up, would I be a drummer? I have no idea. (laughs)
1: There's a lot of those moments in Beatle lore where you hear little things that inspire you that aren't on other versions. The sloppy version of Please Please Me is the first one I heard where they're intersecting over each other on that. Fu- like, yeah. I can't hear the mono version because <laughs> I'm used to I, you know, I'm so burned in my brain. The the intersection of them singing uh, over each other in that last verse. Yeah, man, this is, I think, without question, one of the most important Beatles songs I think it's place ending side one of Magical Mystery Tour, the LP, is astonishing. I think it's, you know, this song is probably one of their best side closers that they ever put on a record.
0: It's a groovy one. Well, then you take that record off and you get out the second EP, the second Seven Inch, and you put it on and it uh, opens up side three with Fool on the Hill. This is one of those songs that they recorded in September. So filming had already commenced on magical mystery tour and uh it was written at Paul's dad's house up in Liverpool while he was hitting a, a d6 chord on the piano which
1: would be day after day
0: that's that's cool because you and know then he,
1: he goes to the G over the D which is so nice it's all over the D yeah, yeah.
0: the D the bass stays in D yep yeah I've always liked the song it's a really it's a great song. It's, it's a, <laughs> it's a light song, but I, I dig it. Like I've always loved the recorder sound on it. Recorder is technically the first instrument I ever played, you know, cause we all got them in sixth grade or fifth grade, whatever it was, that was music class. I was never able to hit whatever notes he's hitting on that thing.
1: No, kids playing recorder is the sound of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's the most like that that I, that's just designed to fuck with parents, I think. Whoever designed the recorder, why does every kid get one?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is I mean, do they still teach square dancing too? I don't know. They might. In gym class is what I'm getting at, like, when you're
1: 14. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they, they put that 45 on to, like, take your partner by the hair, tell her to sit down right there. Right, <laughs> like, right. Every square End song is like, talk about cancellation, like, <laughs> swing your partner around and around. If she don't say yes, just push her down. Like, no, I'm not going to push my partner down.
0: Yeah, that's rude.
2: Everybody swing your partner, roll them a little and a them and take your partner
1: I don't know if they do that anymore or not, but uh, this song, what I love about it in its simplicity is that the beat doesn't change, but the dynamics do. The verse is a little legato, and the chorus builds more, and then by the bridge, it's, the, it's almost... The, uh, the when he's doing that it kind of begins to get a little more of tempo and it's 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 just paul being so confident musically i if there's things i say every week this is one of them taking you know he wrote take a sad song and make it better he wrote simple songs and made them better this is not a complex song no but what he does with it his delivery his lyrics his style of performing are just so beautiful this is one of my favorite we talked wanderlust a couple weeks ago from uh, broad street wanderlust kind of in the same spirit as fool on the hill obviously fool on the hill a a much better song but two songs indeed there are these kind of piano ballads and fool on the hill i think it's almost underrated
0: It's definitely underrated. Yeah. Yeah. I like this song a lot. I think it's one of his best. It was inspired by the Maharishi, who they were just getting to know. Um, And it was, yeah, because he giggled a lot, I guess. And some people kind of dismissed him as just being some strange fool. And so it's kind of a song about someone who's considered a fool, but might actually have, you know, quote unquote, the answer.
1: (laughs) And that's, he also wrote, you gave me the answer about the Maharishi on the uh, Venus and Mars album. (laughs) Another jaunty piano tune. This
0: is fun. Sonically, one of my favorite things on this is uh, the flourish of, I guess it's slowed down guitars. To me, it always, it's towards the end. And it always sounds like a flock of pigeons or something right before kind of the final fade out. And I love John and George on the bass harmonicas. Uh, bass harmonica is a favorite sound of mine. You can hear it on Beach Boys Records and this one.
1: It's very of its time, and Flock of Pigeons gave us another hit of 82 called I Ran. I ran all night, I get away. Yeah, all right, Tony, what's next?
0: <laughs> Flying. Yes. According to Paul McCartney, this song is credited to all four, which is how you would credit a non-song. <laughs> <laughs> I like this song. So now, do I like this song more than songs on Sgt. Pepper that are the you know album tracks, such as Fixing a Hole or Getting Better? No. Mm-hmm. No, I think I really like Fixing a Hole over this, but I like this song regardless. I think it's great. This There's a... There's a mood to this song that you don't really hear on any other Beatles song, I don't think. Not like this.
1: Well, I mean, maybe 12 Bar original.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. That's the only one that comes as close. But it's, you know, they needed to do 12 Bar to do this. Like, this is 12 Bar done right, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what it is. It was meant for an instrumental piece in the movie. That What always makes me laugh is this song is what Free as a Bird was going to be when uh, Hmm. Paul, George, and Ringo got together just to write instrumental music for the movie and then said, what are we doing? We're here. Let's just see if we can get a John tape. Right. This is among the most minor and inconsequential songs in the entire Beatles catalog. Doesn't make it a bad song. It's a lovely little instrumental. And on the LP version, flying going into Blue Jay Way is like five, six minutes of cool weirdness. Yeah. Uh, which belong on a Beatle album. I mean, it's it's no, you know, f- flying is no better or worse than Wild Honey Pie. I know you love Wild Honey
0: Pie. but I, <laughs> I do like that one.
1: I don't dislike him. But as we judge the Beatles on a curve... These are inconsequential songs. Blue Jay Way is not. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But Flying is beautiful and it's got all four singing. It's the only one credited to all four Beatles. the way the last what 40 seconds become this weird experimental kind of hazy that's what i love so much the last 30 40 seconds of this a few seconds of silence and then the drone that begins blue Jay way it's just great beatles moments it's really neat to hear that happen it doesn't sound like anything else they the songs almost feel connected were it not for the silence in between them
0: You're right. Yeah. And if you really like that ending of flying, you can listen to about eight minutes of it on a a thing called Aerial Tour Instrumental. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Which would be on the expanded version if they ever get around to that. Uh, But yeah, you flip over to side four of the Magical Mystery Tour EP and get the final track, Blue Jay Way. Yeah, this is a wild George Harrison number. Real moody. It was written in L.A. on Blue Jay Way. In a house that was rented to George. First of all, it was George who was all staying there. George, Patty, Neil Aspinall, and Magic Alex.
1: Yeah. He was was trying to turn the bathroom into a reel-to-reel machine.
0: (laughs) It was the uh, rented house of Peggy Lee's manager. Capital Recordings artist, uh, Peggy Lee. Let's love... Yeah, Let's Love. Yeah. Right. Capitol Records. So Paul and Linda later in the 70s, they gifted a song called Let's Love yeah. to Peggy Lee. And uh, yeah, it's and it sounds it's cool. It's cool. It sounds like a Paul song.
2: Love. Nah.
1: Yeah, it's a total Paul song because it is a Paul song. So <laughs> it, it's 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 Peggy Lee doing a, a a a Paul song. Do you remember that Marshall Tucker band parody, Peggy Lee? <laughs> Whoa, Peggy Lee. Paul well, McCartney wrote, let's love, but he said, it's not for me. Yeah. If heard... you see Peggy <laughs> Lee, give her a song that was not wanted by McCartney. Oh, this is called Bad Improv. Dude, I, I thought he was in a band. I didn't know this was going to be like an improv show. I always thought, Tony, and this is just me being a little bit of a nerd, I thought George wrote this after Joe Carter hit that famous home run to give the Blue Jays that World Series win um against the phillies and on the mound of course former cub legend wild thing mitch williams i'm pretty sure i'm a i'm a, tj makes up baseball stats <laughs> here's a pitch on the way a swing and a belt left field way back
2: blue jays win it
1: yeah man here's something interesting about this song though for real the backwards vocals talk about stereo mono are not on the mono version of this The only time you get the backwards vocals are on the stereo and it's such a component of the song. It's one of the few cases in Beatle mono versus stereo debate where the mono version, in my mind, shouldn't even be in the running because the backwards vocals add to that kind of foggy L.A. kind. I don't even live in L.A. I mean, you you, you sold your soul to move to California and decided to turn your back on Chicago, um, which, you know, a lot of us haven't forgotten. I talk to Lori all the time. P- Tony Preckwinkle <laughs> still calls me um, but uh, I, but it, the song even though I've only been to LA a handful of times just feels like LA what George is able to convey sonically but to me the backwards vocals play a big part in that Tony so it's weird hearing it in mono
0: Yeah. And this isn't the sunny Jan and Dean LA. This is the spooky kind of precursor to Manson LA in the Hollywood Hills, in the fog, in the spookiness, in the kind of the, the true LA, which can at times be quite a desolate and lonely place. There's a lot of walls there and, but also a lot of things hidden in the Hills that are little treasures. It's a, I think it is a very accurate soundscape for Los Angeles. And, not to hit hammer the stupid ass goddamn Manson thing too much. Don't but,
1: Mal Evans the Manson thing.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think when he lyrically he says, "Please don't be long," and then it becomes into like, "Don't belong, don't belong." And I think I remember reading Manson had interpreted that to be like, "Don't belong, don't belong to society," you know, that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, I don't know enough if George intended that as well with the don't be long i don't i don't know if that was ever intended um couple more things about the song lots of phasing in it I love there's it. way more prominent tambourine in the stereo version too that's ringo yeah that's ringo it's uh, next on that's ringo <laughs> there, there are a few like it's such a weird song because it's dreary and uplifting. It's orchestral. It's part Indian. It, it's mm-hmm. it's got all this weird kind of ornamentation on it. It's it's a very sleepy song.
0: Yeah, all those swirling, enveloping, backwards things. Yeah, that kind of draw you in. It's cool.
1: So this song basically ends the Magical Mystery Tour EP. This is the last thing heard on the original UK EP of this. And on the American album, it goes into Your Mother Should Know. And as I mentioned, so that track, uh, track list, I can't speak, that. I was going to call it a running order for Magical Mystery Tour, side one, the American vinyl, Magical Mystery Tour, Fool on the Hill, Flying, Blue Jay Way, Your Mother Should Know, I Am the Walrus. That's a pretty damn solid side of Beatles music. And then, Tony, you flip it over in side two, features only five songs four of which are among the best and most important and biggest selling and that's where i kind of do my pepper comparison is that pepper's loaded with great songs but pepper doesn't have i am the walrus strawberry fields penny lane could have had strawberry fields and penny lane
0: yeah they also were intended initially yeah
1: I, Strawberry Fields was for sure. I can't remember if Penny Lane was intended for it, or it was recorded in the same session. I can't remember what the intention was on that. I, I, I You may be right.
0: It was pre-Pepper. It was just like, oh, these songs are for our next album, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, and, but pre-Pepper, as we mentioned earlier, is basically just Salt. <laughs> um but you know uh, hello of course, goodbye <laughs> sp- 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 oh by the way spinderella if you're listening hit it hit it up one more time. Uh, what is, what did he <laughs> say? Spinderella hit me up one uh, What's oh what's the phrase?
0: Oh, man, I don't I Casey,
1: help
2: Spinderella
1: cut it up one time. Ooh. But uh, Hello Goodbye, not the same artistic achievement as the other songs. But, Tony, th- for an album to have Walrus, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, I His love. It's exceptional and crazy.
0: I Am the Walrus was going to be the next single. But I think Paul and George Martin leaned towards Hello Goodbye. They thought it was more commercial and Lennon. To the end, I think, disagreed and thought Walrus should have been the single. Um, yeah, it is definitely not a, a deep song, but it is, yeah, it's a great commercial pop song. I've always really liked, actually, Hello, Hello, Take One, you know, the instrumental version. Yeah, me too. fun. I remember, yeah, listening to that pre-anthology and it was kind of like one of the first things like, oh, I can karaoke with the Beatles.
1: <laughs> That's my favorite compilation on Deezer.
0: <laughs> Deezer. De- Deezer. <laughs> that should be our Berwin. Berwyn. Deezer.
1: Now batting. Berwin. Deezer. <laughs> Berwyn. Deezer. Berwyn. <laughs> um... It's a glimmering hit. Uh, a weird post-Beatles note is Paul opened with Hello Goodbye when he toured in 92 for the first time since, I think, excuse me, when he toured in 02 for the first time since 93. Uh, he opened with this, and it was exhilarating hearing this live.
0: Yeah, I'll bet.
1: With all due respect to figure of eight hearing Paul open, open with hello goodbye was wonderful uh, it's actually a moment I'll never forget it was it was like uh, just internet was around but I wasn't on like set list FM at the time I'm pretty sure I did not know what he'd be doing in that set so to hear him open with hello goodbye I'll never forget it was at the United Center in Chicago and it blew me away absolutely blew me away I
2: said
0: Regardless of what John thinks of the song, this is a great Beatles single. In fact, Paul directed the promo film for it, too, which is great because you get to see them in their Sergeant Pepper outfits performing this song. So great. It's Paul McCartney advocating for the positive side of the duality. Of the whole, you know, you say yes, I say no, you say hi, I say bye, whatever.
1: (laughs) That is such a beautiful point. It's almost like Paul doing his own We Can Work It Out. Paul's giving the dark and the light. Yeah. Whereas We Can Work It Out was John doing the dark and Paul doing the light. This is Paul kind of playing both sides. What a great, I never thought of it that way. What a great point.
0: That was his quote, by the way, advocating for the more positive side of the duality. That's a Paul McCartney quote.
1: I'm sure that's been a bootleg at some point. Dude, did you pick up Positive Side of the Duality on Swing and Pig? It's got 18 different versions of Maxwell's Silver Hammer. you got to get
2: it. Hey, everybody. It's Casey here, producer of the Untitled Beatles podcast. First of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, this episode ran a little bit long, so we're going to have to call it a two-parter. Good news, we'll be back with the second half of this conversation next week. In the meantime, while I have you for a second, we love making this show and we hope you are enjoying listening to it. And we hope you'll help us spread the word. So three things that you could do to help us out. Number one, subscribe. If this is your first time listening and you made it this far, hopefully it's because you liked it, not because you fell asleep. If you subscribe, you'll make sure you get all of our weekly episodes in your podcast feed every Saturday morning. So hit subscribe wherever you're listening. You can find links to our show on all the major players at UntitledBeatlesPodcast.com. Number two, drop us a review or a rating on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening. Your ratings help other people discover the show better than anything else. And three, last but not least, please tell your friends. Everybody loves a good podcast recommendation, right? I do. Be that person who gives your friends the gift of Tony and TJ and all their goofs and shenanigans. So that's all I got. Subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. So normally this is the part of the show where I get to end it by picking how to rudely interrupt the guys with that outro sound that we play. Uh, So I guess this week I just... Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe.